Our text comes from Romans chapter 12. For those of you new to Scripture or new to the faith, uh, Romans is near the back of the Bible. You just uh, go to the, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those big uh, sections of Gospels, and then right after that, after that, after Acts, you'll find Romans. Hear the Word of God from Romans 12, chapter 1. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. Well, there are some things in life where you have to be all in. This past year, a Sudanese woman named Miriam Ibrahim was all in with a major decision that she faced regarding Christ. Miriam Abraham, um, you see, is a professing Christian who is from Sudan. And she married an American citizen and chemist named Daniel. Miriam, however, was arrested and detained by Muslim Sudanese uh, officials. She was tried. She was imprisoned for apostasy uh, by Muslim authorities and was kept in prison until under threat of death unless she renounced her Christian faith. Ibrahim claimed that she had been brought up a Christian from her whole life, from her very beginning, and that her father had left her early in life and had been a Muslim himself. To add insult to injury to the whole situation, Miriam Ibrahim was pregnant when she was prosecuted and imprisoned. And think about that. She was pregnant with her husband, couldn't see him very much, and uh, she was imprisoned for being a Christian. It would have been so easy to just compromise, to make a deal, and even kind of rush, uh, brush your Christianity under the rug in order to even protect the baby. However, to the utter surprise of everyone, Miriam Ibrahim held her ground for Christ. She refused to renounce Christ and so sat in prison for months. And yes, she finally gave birth to a baby girl named Maya while shackled in prison. Her story went viral. And in Italian and American governments got involved. And after tremendous pressure on Muslim authorities in Sudan, she was released so that she was flown with her baby to live with her husband in Manchester, New Hampshire, back in July. It was an amazing homecoming. Miriam Abraham, Ibrahim, was no doubt all in with Christ. She gave him her utter 
and final allegiance, her utter and final worship. You see, Jesus wasn't just a convenient tradition. He was a living Lord to follow and give her life to, even at the risk of imprisonment and maybe even death. We know what today in Romans chapter 12, we look at a shift in Paul's letter where he really starts to tell us what it means to follow Christ by grace through faith in Christ alone. What it means to be all in with Jesus. And what we're going to see today is this shift where Paul takes a turn away from saying all that is true for us as Christians in chapters 1 through 11 to what that has to do with daily living. In fact, our text says at the very beginning in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore. And of course, whenever you're reading Scripture, you've got to remember when you see a therefore, you've got to go backwards and look at the therefore. And what's the backwards that we're looking at, therefore? Well, it's all that was said in 1 through 11 about the only way that we can come to Christ and even live in Christ is by grace of God working in our lives and us receiving that grace by faith in Jesus. We might say chapters 1 through 11 are all the indicatives of what's true. This is what is true about Christianity. But, when, but in chapter 12 now, the shift is to the imperatives of what it means to follow Jesus. And so Paul starts laying out a real series of, of really countercultural ideas of what it means to follow Jesus and to be all in with him. So what are those, some of those we're going to look at today? Well, today we're going to look at three in the first two verses. Three imperatives or countercultural exhortations that show how to be all in with Jesus in light of all that he has done for us in the cross. So it starts out in verse 1. It says this radical thing right off the bat. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you think about living in the body, he's talking about the business of daily life, uh, the rhythms that we have every day in our living. And the reason he says this is that back in that day, in Roman culture, the way the Romans used their, cult, their, their bodies was indulgence. They didn't care about their bodies. You want to get rid of the body. That was their theology and their pagan culture. So in their case, they indulged in every pleasure. Well, Paul here is countering that when he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Instead of indulging yourself, do the complete opposite is what he's saying. Give up something. Give up yourself for something far beyond you. And he highlights living this way even as a living sacrifice, because when they talk about sacrifice in the ancient world, as you might envision, even from what you know about pagan religions and even the Old Testament sacrifices, usually death was involved. Blood was involved. But Paul's saying, no, no, we don't kill ourselves. We value life. We don't take life. 
you are being offered as a living sacrifice. And why would he say that? It's because somehow being a living sacrifice, giving up, gives us more life. Now, it's easy to stop at this point and say, wait a minute, giving up gives us more life. How can that be? That's not how we do life in our world. We live in a world that is about acquisition. I get more of anything in order to feel better about myself. Our world says you get more to gain more life. But here Paul is saying something radically just different, that you actually give up to gain. Here's where we get this as Christians. Jesus Christ began his began uh, giving his life as a living sacrifice. Think about this for a second. Christ, as we understand, left the glories of heaven as the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came into our world. And he became a lower middle class citizen of a lowly state in the Roman Empire. Huh? The King of Kings gave up incredible things to dwell among us as people. Not only that, he gave up a life of riches to serve others. He gave of himself. And ultimately, he gave his life on a cross. The greatest indignity that anyone could encounter in the first century Roman culture. And he did it for a larger reason. All this to show his glorious ways in our salvation, in the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus gave all of this as a living and dying sacrifice for us. Well, why did he do it? I mean, some of you think, now you hear, we hear this story all the time, of Jesus died, Jesus died. Why? Well, Galatians 2 tells us, it says, he loved us and gave himself for us. In other words, true love gives up. True love sacrifices by giving up something for a greater good than self. Christ did it for us. And now Paul's implication is that we are to do the same by faith in him. We are called by faith to be living sacrifices in our lives. Why does Paul call us to this life? Well, present yourselves as a living sacrifice is another way to say, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 when he said, if you want to be my disciple, that's what you've got to bring to the table. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, die. Remember, that's what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. If a man, uh, if Jesus calls a man to follow him, he bids him to come and die. Now, the interesting thing of why Jesus talks about this and calls us to this life, and Paul even calls us to present ourselves as living sacrifice, is Jesus and Paul knew that you and I, when we offer sacrifices, we like to offer dead sacrifices. Just give your time to God at church. Give your service to God at church. Give your money and even uh, do big things and big projects for God. You see, it's easy to give stuff to God, but never give yourself to God. Back when I was in high school, after I graduated, 
uh, my 12th grade year, uh, I had a, the privilege of working at a camp out in Colorado, a young life camp called Frontier Ranch. And these camps were where lots of kids from all over the nation would come and would uh, actually hear the gospel. Most of them would usually be non-Christians, and they were there to hear the gospel and to have a, just a wonderful time. It is amazing stuff at those camps. I went to be on work crew, and so my job was to be on the outdoor crew. I peeled logs for a month. I mean, took a knife and got straddled big old logs and peeled the bark off so we could make a, a uh, actually a barn uh, for horses with these logs. But in my case, I really like working. Some of you who know me know that. So I actually thought, well, why don't I also work another job at night? I had the energy. So I worked in the kitchen at night, uh, helping clean dishes and working what's called the pit crew. And uh, for a whole month, I did this. And at the end of the month, I sat down with my, uh, our kind of boss, our work crew boss, and he was giving evaluations for all of us, kind of spiritual counsel and like that. And he said, Dean, I wish I had a million of you. You worked really hard. You gave above and beyond. is amazing. But there's one thing you lack. You didn't give yourself away. You didn't put yourself out there. It was all about the service, but we never saw you. How many times do we give to God in ways that we don't show up and it's just going through the motions? Paul is saying, don't be a dead sacrifice in what you give. Be a living one. Show up. Yeah, in your messiness, in your brokenness, but show up. Presenting yourself as a living sacrifice is a radically different kind of spirituality than just showing up in mechanical religion. Now, what does that mean practically for us today? Well, first, when we give up something and sacrifice, we actually start by making choices to give up sin, to give up the thing that seems so natural, so normal to us in our fleshy rhythms. We give that up because it displeases God. Being all in with Jesus means you sign up for a lifetime, this side of eternity, of sacrificing sin. And like we've said this before, remember, it's not like when you first become a Christian, you sacrifice some sins and like, phew, man, I'm glad I got that over with. I'm going to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Nah, God loves you so much. He gets in your junk. He gets in your junk and he reveals more about what we bring to the table with our brokenness. And we find out, oh, wow, I didn't realize I had that issue too. Second thing that we are called to sacrifice, and it's very practical, is one that's going to shock you. You ready for this? Sacrificing as a living sacrifice means you give up good things. Good things for something far better. Listen to me, I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy the good gifts of life that God provides in so many ways through relationships, resources, homes, cars, the whole nine yards. I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy those. Those are gifts to be enjoyed with thanks to God. But remember, the nature of idolatry is that you start to worship good things and make them ultimate things above the Lord himself. I'll give you an example of how Sometimes you have to give up good things for far better things. This past week, 
last few weeks has been kind of exhausting for me. We just finished up my son's soccer season, traveling all over the state. Uh, it's been a lot of travel, been a lot of work going on with church, a whole, whole host of other things. I wanted to spend this weekend just resting and just doing nothing, to be completely honest with you. The thought of watching college football all day yesterday was a pleasant thought. However, I was asked several weeks back, really a month back, to be a part of a weekend at RTS Seminary where I would be working with a group of people evaluating seminary students and their wives on whether they should pursue church planning long term. I went into the thing, I have to tell you, with not the best attitude. It was like, oh man, I really don't want to do this. But I went in because I had agreed to, and I, and I swear, as I was studying this sermon, for this sermon, I kept thinking, this is what sacrifice looks like for me this weekend. So I go in, and I listen, and we work with these young couples and help them think through a lot of things, listen to their story, among other stuff. And yesterday, we sat down with them yesterday afternoon, and we gave them evaluations of where they should go in terms of ministry, and especially whether they should pursue a trajectory of, of church planning. The most wonderful thing happened with one of these couples that I had the privilege of delivering the news to. As I sat there and told them that they should consider church planning, the guy broke down in tears. Because he had been wounded in ministry, he had been wounded in life, and he wanted the affirmation that he indeed could really should pursue a life of doing mission with church planning. To be there in that moment was worth all of it. It was extraordinary and a privilege to do it for Christ. And it reminded me once again that sometimes when we give up what we really want for something that's far bigger than us, God often returns a blessing that far exceeds anything we can imagine. It's clear that the good sometimes is the enemy of the best. And our job as Christians in sacrifice is not only to give up our sin, but to sometimes to give up our good for a larger, better good which requires a great deal of wisdom. That's why Paul gets into our text and talks at length about how our sacrifices are, quali- are qualified. He, he describes them as acceptable and holy to God. That's what kind of things God wants for God. A real living sacrifice seeks pleasing God. It is set apart. It's different than the way the world thinks sacrifice works. And not only that, it pleases God. It's acceptable to Him. Its pursuit is, I want to make God happy. He's happy with me in Christ and my justification once and for all. But I want to please Him in the rhythms of doing relationship with Him. Just as I would a friend or my wife or my son or my daughter. That's the kind of pleasures we seek in relationship with God. And you have to understand, sacrifice is no common thing when it comes to Christianity. It is, in many ways, totally unexpected. It isn't a hand-me-down to God. It changes you. Let me give you another example. Let me ask the question of what does sacrifice look like in the daily rhythm of life? We've talked about it's giving up sin, it's giving up even good things for better things for the kingdom and for Christ. What does the experience of it look like when you sacrifice? Well, let me, let me tell you three things of what the experience of sacrifice looks like. First, and you've got to remember this, it looks like Christ's sacrifice on the cross, first and foremost. When you give sacrifice to God in any way of yourself, 
You must begin with God himself in Christ, dying on the cross. Real sacrifice always starts with Christ, and you do it in Christ, in relationship and with reference to him. I want to be really clear about this. Resting on Christ's death is fundamental and frees you up as a believer to enjoy giving sacrifice. If you don't get this, that Christ's sacrifice is the basis of our sacrifice, is the grace that we have free of charge so that we don't have to be uh, work for our salvation, then you and all of your attempts to please God are going to be on a treadmill. And it's going to be constant. When am I going to give enough to God? It just feels like I'm giving and giving and giving. And I can't give enough. Start with Christ in your giving of sacrifice. Otherwise, you'll spend your life sacrificing in a way that will never fully satisfy yourself or even God. Christ is enough. Second, the second look of the experience of sacrifice is a surprising one as well. Psalm 51 was read earlier, which is connected to Psalm 50, by the way. And it tells us a, surprise, a surprising thing. God doesn't want our sacrifice. Wait, 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 what are you talking about? God doesn't want our sacrifice. Doesn't want our money. Doesn't want our service. Doesn't want anything. Nah. Now, the main and acceptable sacrifice that God wants is in Psalm 51, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Let me put it this way. God is not looking for your competency to impress him because it won't. It's not enough. God isn't looking for together people who are, are kind of happy, together American uh, suburban people. Nah. The ironic thing about the gospel is that God is drawn to broken and contrite people. People who don't have their act together. People who are, dare I say it, spiritually incompetent. Remember the religious people of Paul's day, of Jesus' day, even in the time of, say, Isaiah and the psalmist, they were busy about religious activity for God without ever really engaging God. So how do you really engage God before you get busy with God? It's humility. Contriteness about our brokenness. Isaiah 66.2 says this, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 57.15 says it this way, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, big, a transcendent language, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with those with him, rather, who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. In America, we present with competence. We present with strength. We try to impress. We market ourselves. But in Christianity, you present, I'm a broken sinner and I desperately need Christ. Do you know how freeing that is? That's the language of faith. Faith always begins with humility. I'm not enough. 
and my sin is offensive. Have mercy on me, Lord. God is drawn to that. Do you feel far from God? Well, call out to him and say, I need you. I'm not enough. He will lean in in his time to meet you. The great Puritan, John Bunyan, says it this way. He says um, about the profile of someone giving sacrifice to God. He says, the broken-hearted man is a fainting man. He has qualms. He often dies away with pain and fear. He pines away in his iniquity. Thus says God, this man shall be refreshed and renewed. <laughs> That's so counterintuitive. I just don't know where to begin. Pining away, lamenting. This is the complete opposite of what we're used to in American sacrifice. So real sacrifice really begins at the cross. It really begins with Jesus. It begins with humility and a contrite heart. But there's third look and feel of real sacrifice that shows up here. And it's this. It's the feel of faith. Faith. As you follow Jesus in this life, both when you first become a Christian and as you keep following him in new growth spurts, here's what's going to happen. Every time Jesus brings you to humility about sinfulness, brokenness, new ways you need to change and pursue him, he will call you to follow in a new way and it will feel like death. It will feel like death. It feels like you're giving up something normal. It feels like you're giving up something that it just doesn't feel right sometimes. Real faith actually feels that way. Because you're giving up the old and putting on the new. That's what real sacrifice is. It feels like death. It feels a little bit like this. Uh, about 10 years back, some of you can remember, I had my knee uh, reconstructed. I had an ACL, it popped. And I had to have my knee reconstructed while I was just starting up Redeemer. And so uh, the doc went in. He cut up my knee and moved all kinds of things around, put screws in. It was all kinds of stuff. When I woke up, it was feeling weird. I mean, I couldn't feel part of my knee. He'd cut through some. He had to cut through some uh, nerves. I could feel different, those tendons tied back behind here. And it's like, that's a really odd feeling. I've never felt that before. It felt strange. And I had to get used to, over time, walking and living with this new feeling in my knee. That's exactly what Christianity is like. When you follow Jesus, the giving up of something and sacrifice feels weird for a while. But here's the wonder of it. Just as Romans 6 says, we uh, die with Christ and are crucified with him, so we will be raised with him. The wonder of the gospel is that as you sacrifice with that sense of death, of giving up, there is life and resurrection in the Spirit on the other side. That is what is promised to us in Scripture. And so, if you will, there is a carrot at the end of the stick. When I call you to give up something, when I have to give up something for Christ, the great carrot is the promise of life, abundant life, and ultimately eternal life. Through Jesus himself. 
you and I are called to this very strange life of, of presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. So, how does that work in daily life? We've hit it on all kinds of places in spiritual living. Well, real briefly in verse 2, we have kind of a clarification of what this looks like in our daily lives. In verse 2, we see further countercultural exhortations. It says this, do not be conformed to this world. Or better translated, this age. The time between when the fall at creation took place and when Jesus returns, when sin has its presence in this world, don't be conformed to this world and sin's, Satan's, and your flesh's influence. Paul is saying, in other words, die to the ways of the world. Now remember, our working definition of worldliness is this. There are many good things in the world to enjoy. Even pagans do some good things and say some good things. But worldliness is different. Worldliness is anything that makes sin look normal and virtue look strange. Worldliness is anything that makes sin look normal and virtue look strange. I have to say it. The whole homosexuality juggernaut of our time is a great example of this. It's being normalized everywhere in our culture. I'll say there's something else that shows that that might even be closer to home for some of us. If you ever watch the news, especially if you listen to sports radio like me or other things, there is a new uh, occurrence of how people are handling news. It's outrage. I call it outrageous outrage. Where people get outraged about the silliest things. And they're outrageous about their outrage. How can this be happening? As a result, we as Christians have to be careful about how we use our anger so that we not sin. Paul says, don't be conformed. Don't be fashioned with the way the world does anger, the way the world does sexuality, the way the world does all kinds of things. Don't be conformed or fashioned. Like an artist fashions a piece of art in the culture. In other words, Paul is saying, don't be squeezed by the world. Don't be squeezed. Learn how to fight the good fight. Learn how to resist the devil and flee. What is worldly about your life? Anything that makes sin look normal and virtue look strange. And that takes the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you and to me. And we all have little tastes of it in our lives, of things we need to work on in the ways we see God and even live for Him. Paul isn't done. He goes on to the next part of, of verse 2, and he talks about what a living sacrifice looks like and how we live positively. He's saying, don't do this, but do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word for transform here in the Greek is metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis, if you've ever heard that word. The metamorphosis of Scripture is a radical change, a revolutionary shift in how we live. This very word is used to describe Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration when His very person was radically revealed in His glory. How does that shift happen? How do we grow? Well, it begins with our minds. 
It begins with our minds. What we believe is true. The scripts and the lines we rehearse about ourselves, about God, and how we're to live. The mind is the place where God starts with the truth of who He is and what He wants of us in Christ. In other words, I put it this way, if the eyes are the window to the soul, the mind is the door. And what you put into your mind affects who you are and what you believe. Paul is saying we must be made new in our minds. We must enjoy the truth of God's Word and discern His will. Uh, Let me put it this way. The living sacrifice who lives by faith in Christ, who is all in with Jesus, will allow God to shape us in His image beginning with what we really believe. And let's be clear, guys. I talk about what we believe, but there are two kind of belief systems we all carry around. That which is merely in our head, and we can spout off proper theology. Amen. But there's also the way you live, your existential theology, the practical stuff and where there's a disconnect between what is true about the gospel and how we really live out our lives. That's what Paul's getting at. Let the gospel, the word of God, get into your heart and your mind in such a way that it transforms how you think and therefore how you live, even feel with your life. How can you do that? Well, for those who are struggling with how do I develop the life of the mind, start with being curious. Ask questions about God, about His Word. Be curious. You know how you'll go online, you'll have your, your iPad or your computer, and you'll say, oh, I did this the other day. Um, who's won all the NFL um, Super Bowls over the last 50 years or whatever? Well, I looked it up, and there it is in Wiki, all this list and everything like that. And I start following a thread, you know, a little research going on on Super Bowls. So do the same thing yourself. Find a thought and follow it a little bit and be curious about what is true according to God's Word. What are you curious about? And if you get stuck, ask people like me. Ask the elders. Ask the deacons, those of us who are struggling to learn and be curious about God's Word as well. We're going to talk more about this when we get to the beginning of the year, about being curious. But let me encourage you, don't be afraid to ask big questions. Some of you here are struggling with Christianity because you have huge questions. And I would ask you to be curious about those and see what God's Word says and who Jesus really is in that. What you'll find is Jesus is the smartest person in the world ever. And if we pursue him, he will reveal in his time truth that literally changes our lives in the gospel. The result of this is we're able to prove or discern God's will. Now there's a big question we could spend more time on. We don't have the time. What's God's will for my life? Well, God's will here is talking about the word of God how you can discern what's true in the Word of God, and how you can search it out in curiosity. So, to be all in with Christ, to follow Him yourself as a living sacrifice, to die 
and to actually give up the world in meaningful ways and live in a transformed way by the renewing of your mind with the gospel, that is being all in with Jesus. That is a radically altered life in and of itself in powerful ways. Final question for the day. Why? And why go through all this? I mean, Christianity is hard enough, and sometimes it can be a little boring and mundane, right? It could be a great struggle. It could be ho-hum. Well, Paul tells us why in verse 1. Why we should be all in with Jesus, even giving ourselves up as a living sacrifice. He says, in view of God's mercies. In view of God's mercies. The gospel is God has had unbelievable mercies on you and me. In the gifts he's given us, our material gifts of our lives, our homes, our families, our relationships, we could just go through a whole host of things. He has had mercy on us to give us those. He's had mercy on us despite the fact we're sinners and that naturally we're born enemies of God. And yet, in his grace, he brings us into the kingdom to not only be friends but even family so that we can call him Father. And we have this Christ who has so conquered everything through the cross that we can call him brother, Lord. That's mercy. That's kindness. That's compassion that God wants to give to us. He's the first one who gave up. He gave up his son. Now he calls us to give up in a powerful way by giving ourselves up. So, present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Don't let the world squeeze you. Let God transform you with the truth of the gospel in his word. That's what it looks like to be all in with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise you that you have today reminded us of the grand gospel of Jesus on a cross. We have sung of it, prayed about it, but we want to be a people who when we sacrifice, we give of ourselves. We're not just giving empty, dead sacrifices. We're giving ourselves first. Would you, Lord, help any who are here today who do not know you to actually call on you for the first time to go home, to pray about this, to think about this, and ask themselves what God in the universe would die for me, what person would die for me, even as an enemy. There is none but you, Lord. I pray, Lord, today that you would help us as Christians following you and sometimes feeling the ho-hum of the Christian life, that actually we're meant to be all in and that sacrifice is the way, a living sacrifice given because you first loved us. Thank you, Jesus. There is no other like you. In Jesus' name we pray.